With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Um, this week, uh, weekend, um, I was able to, to go home and um, spend a few days um, with my dad. And um, I'm not sure, I think most of you know that um, in June... My dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and so um, dad is 74, and so over the last six months, it's been a rocky road for our family, and I spend much time um, caring for him and being with him, and so this weekend, we were able to, to be with him, and um, we were eating supper um, the other night, and I was talking about, we were eating some meal, and I was thinking, I was telling dad how I can remember growing up, and um, and I really can, very fond memories of just always idolizing dad and wanting to be like him and um even so much if you know much about me one thing about me is I'm a foodie I, I love food I love to eat amen and um and so I can remember even like wanting to eat what dad ate you know like whatever he ate I wanted to eat and you know it's, I wanted to try and dad was always I mean because we were eating grapefruit that morning and I remember dad every morning would eat grapefruit and so and I tried to like stomach it right um and so he was eating grapefruit the other day and I can remember as a young boy watching dad eat grapefruit in the morning and I was I wanted to be like dad so I would try to eat grapefruit like him and whoo I just couldn't do it another thing that dad would eat um is celery oh my goodness that is the most disgusting thing in the world and I, but I would try, you know, I would like, okay, dad tried it on pimento cheese. Maybe it'll be better with pimento cheese. No, he, he ate it with peanut butter. Maybe it'd be better with peanut butter. No. And I, still to this day, you know, we were, I was laughing. I said, well, one day when I grow up, you know, I, I, maybe I'll grow into celery. I can tell you today, I am 45 years old and I have not grown up enough, evidently, because it's still disgusting to me. Um, but throughout my life, I just remember analyzing dad for wanting to do what he did as far as what he ate. Um, wanting to do what he did as just far as his life. He, I remember driving a truck when, he was, when I was really young for Tyson um, or Holly Farms, and then it became Tyson, and, and he drove a Peterbilt. And one day when I grew up, I wanted to drive a Peterbilt like Dad. And Dad was a pilot. He was um, a hobbyist. He flew um, some planes. And so when I grew up, I wanted to fly planes like Dad. I wanted to be like him. And I see that with my girls. I can remember... As a pastor, then watching my wife direct choirs, and then we would have our little video camera, and next thing you know, we would see um, Chloe. Chloe was always choir director. Caroline was always in the choir. She never let Chloe direct. I mean, Caroline direct. But we would be. They would be playing church, and it would, we'd be in that little church in Spring Branch. And next thing you know, we would hear something, and we'd find Caroline, Chloe direct, and Caroline in the choir. They wanted to be like their mom. You know, as we come to this passage today, Isaiah, we really see Isaiah, and here he sees a holy God. And by seeing the holiness of God, Isaiah wants to be holy like God is holy. 
And as we come to just our last few, this series that we've been walking through, we've been talking about Church Mission Month and what does it mean as a church? What is our mission? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to, to serve the Lord? And we've been working through how we are to worship. We talked about um, how we are to remove false worship, how we are to worship in one place. And um, we looked at how we are to worship one God. Last week we looked at how God's instructions for us to worship and how we are to give and how we are to tithe. And this morning we, we look at God's instruction for holiness. In Leviticus 19.2, God in, in his law, the first five books of the Bible are the Old Testament law. And in his law, as he gives instructions to Israel for worship, in Leviticus 19.2, he says this, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, holiness is first founded in the Lord. As we think about as a church and as individuals, how are we to worship? Foundationally, I think it's important for us to understand, what are we worshiping? And what are we worshiping? We're worshiping a holy God. And as we understand at the very essence of our worship is recognizing the holiness of God and recognizing, God, I want to be holy because you are holy, God. Just as a young boy and watching my dad climb up in that Peterbilt truck and I wanted one day climb up like him, one day watching him fly and and, um, and fly planes, I wanted to fly like him, just like I watched him eat celery, and I wanted to grow up and eat celery one day. I idolized him, the imagery, or you could say as a child, I worshipped him. He, we take that same imagery in this passage of Scripture. And as worshipers of God, worshipers of Jesus Christ, we see who is this God, what is his attributes, and I want, to, I want to reflect who he is, just like I wanted to reflect who my father was. And who is this God? Foundationally, the very basic of who God is. Foundationally, through all of Scripture, God is holy. This is one of the key elements of all of Scripture, is the holiness of God. I think it's important as you come to and understand holiness or as you come to Leviticus 9, I mean, 19, 2, you see this command in Scripture. Speak to all the congregations, it says in Leviticus 9, 2. Speak to all the congregation, the people of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy. God would say to Israel, and I'd say God repeats this in 1 Peter, and we're going to look at that next week. I really hope you'll be back because I think I want to look at next week what holy means, holiness means for the church. But in the Old Testament, as he spoke to his people, the nation of Israel, he says, tell everyone in the nation, everyone, gather everyone together, speak to all of Israel, every one of them, and here's the command. You shall, you shall be holy. My people shall be holy. Why? Well, the response would be for the Lord, I am holy. Holiness is first founded in the Lord. 
If you're reading through our Bible reading plan um, that we have that's provided on our app, I um, hope that you'll be a part of some devotional. I say that to you um, probably every Sunday because I do believe personal quiet time and devotional is vital to spiritual health. So I hope you're reading some devotional reading Bible plan. But if you do follow along in our Bible reading plan, it's going to get a little tough. You're going to read through um, Genesis, and then we'll get Exodus, and then we'll get Leviticus. And you're going to think, what am I doing? What am I reading? What is this stuff? You'll get to Deuteronomy, and you'll see all these different things. And you'll see then Leviticus, there's, as we're just reading um, 19.2, you'll see there's laws for leprosy. There's laws for clean animals. There's laws for unclean animals, what to eat, what not to eat. There's laws for how to be clean after childbirth. There's laws of how you're to clean your homes. And all these laws in Leviticus you see all these descriptions of what they are to do and what they are to eat and what they're not to eat, how they're clean the house, how they clean the lepers, how they, um, what food they should eat, how they clean after childbirth. And, and all these imagery is that, what? Man is unclean. But God is holy. And Leviticus shows, and I love a devotion I read this week, Leviticus shows the distance between God and his people. And the amount of work that's required for an unholy people to come near to a holy God. And that's what all these laws are about. All these laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy are showing that God is a holy God. And for you, Israel, in order for you to come near to God, there's things that you must do in order to get to approach him. But can I say to you today, God did not want it that way. But it's this way. Why? Because God is holy. God is set apart. And you and I cannot come near to the holiness. I mean, to the holy. Um, come near to God because we are unholy. These laws and the ritualers and, and Leviticus were required for God's people in order for them to come near to him. This morning, I want you to see the distance between God and man because of God's, listen, holiness because of man's sin. And I want you to see Isaiah in, in Isaiah 6. He encounter a holy God. Will you stand with me and let's read God's word together? It's Leviticus 6 starting at verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled, with the, filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. With two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called out, the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand burning coal that he had taken from the throngs of God. I mean, of, I mean from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for just, Lord, the reminder of what you call us to in holiness. The reminder, Lord, of your holiness. Lord, I pray that today we would grasp, Lord, your holiness, just as Isaiah did, that we might see you high and lifted up today. We would see the great distance between you and us, God, and our need, Lord, for you. Lord, break us today as you broke Isaiah. God, give us a desperation for you as you gave it to Isaiah. Lord, we come together in one accord today, and God, may we long to be holy because you are holy today, Lord. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you come to this passage, Scripture says, as you begin in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, here it's Isaiah as he's starting this passage, he's marking exactly when this happened. You can imagine, um, we can all remember, I I don't know about you, but I remember where I was when 9-11 happened. I was um, actually at a golf course in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Heritage Golf Club. Um, I was at a job interview, uh, interviewing to work there while I was in seminary. And um, when I left there, I drove home to our apartment at Southeastern and opened the door, turned on TV and saw the towers. I remember where I was. Some of you can remember different times of where you were when things happened, when JFK was killed or when the um, shuttle exploded, um, the, um, the Challenger. Um, you can, I think this week, we remember um, the tragedy that's happened with the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. So life-changing moments, and many times we define these life-changing moments for what happened at that moment. For Isaiah, it's the same. He describes this was the year that King Uzziah died. Um, He's marking it. He's marking by the year. For the death of King Uzziah was more than just a, a place card, if you will, to say when this happened. This was one of the greatest kings ever in Israel's time. Um, it was the greatest king since Solomon. David was seen as the greatest king ever in Israel, and then there was Solomon. And then after that, there was a lapse of great leadership among Israel. Uzziah was one of the greatest kings. He was a great administrator. He was a great military leader. And under his leadership, Judah had grown in every way. Um, And for Israel, their hope relied on a king, in their king. As you come to this passage of scripture, you can imagine Isaiah saying, this is the year that Uzziah died. I think for Isaiah, he was wondering, Lord, things have been really good with the country lately. King Uzziah has done a great job. We're stronger than ever militarily, financially. We're stronger than ever. We've not ever had a king like him since Solomon. Now what? You know, I believe that sometimes in our life, we can feel the same way. We look at what's happening in our world today. We see the turmoil that's happening in Russia and Ukraine. We see the turmoil of the spy balloon or spy flight, whatever you want to call it, right? You see that our economy is down. Inflation is struggling. You're paying $7 for eggs, right? You see 46,000 people died last week or so through in, in, over earthquake in Syria and Turkey. 
We see just tragedy all over our world. Just this week, I heard the story this morning of a 26-year-old woman that got shot in a grocery store in the argument. We see loss all around us, right? We see gross sin parading in our country, right? Every day, every commercial, it seems like every news station, there's something that's happening. And many times we can say or feel, Lord, what is happening to our world? What's next? I think that's the way Isaiah felt. But for Isaiah, the first thing he saw was what? In the year that that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. You know, for Uzziah, I mean, for Isaiah, King Uzziah had died, and he did not know what was going to happen to the throne. In that moment of uncertainty, Isaiah saw the Lord was on, still on his throne. Can I remind you today, church family, people, there are disasters, there's tragedies, there's suffering all through our world here in America, all the way to Turkey and Syria, to Russia, to Ukraine. Across our globe, there is suffering. But can I remind you today, the Lord is still on his throne and we need to be reminded as God's people when we think about worship our hope is not in our government or who's president in America or who's in leadership our hope in our world is that God is on the throne and that is who we are to place our hope in to for Isaiah it was a reminder the year that he was worried about what's happening in his world, the Lord is still on the throne. I love the imagery here. High and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. He not only saw the Lord high and lifted up, he, he was reminded that um, the Lord is still on the throne. But secondly, he saw God's holiness. Look at the imagery here. He saw him high lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. He sees these seraphim. These seraphim are... um, are angelic beings. We see seraphim. If you go and read throughout the Old Testament, you see there were golden seraphim that were put in the um, Holy of Holies. They had these wings. I, I, I don't remember the dimensions, but I think it was around six foot each wing, and they would spance out. So you can imagine these great, mighty wings that spread out. And Scripture says, in these angels that stood, they cried out, and with And they had six wings. So imagine these massive wings, and there's six of them. And with their wings, two of them, they covered their face, right? Two of them, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And the imagery there is even for these seraphim, God is so holy, they cannot look upon the glory of God. Because God is so holy, these are created beings 
They cannot look upon the holiness of God and they're covered. Their face is covered. Their feet are covered. All of them are covered. Why? Because they cannot stand or they can't handle, if you will, the presence of God. And so by their posture, listen, they are giving God glory for who he is, that he is holy. But look at the imagery here. Not only are their posture, but they declare. It says, and he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. By saying holy three times, this is the strongest form of the superlative in the Hebrew. It was saying that God, the Israel, the God of Israel is the most holy, it's the most godly, it's the most pure, it's the most magnificent of all the gods. There is no God like Israel's God. There's no holy God like Israel's God. There's no uh, pure God like Israel's God. He is the most holy. He is the most pure. He is the most magnificent. He is the God of all God. And listen, these are angelic beings that are crying out. This is not a man. This is something that God has created. And they say they cannot stand the holiness of God, that they're covered. And, and as they're covering, they're just crying in, crying out day in and day out, holy, holy, holy. It's almost you could, their expression is they can't express anything else but what? God, you're holy. God, you're holy. The holiness of God, as I've said at the beginning of our message this morning, is that first and foremost, as R. Otto said in his book called The Idea of the Holy, the holiness is the first and foremost, the root core of God's being. It encompasses all the other divine attributes and therefore essential to the life of God's people. The whole Jewish and Christian understanding of God and his relationship to people is summed up in the command... You shall be holy, for I am holy. Very central to the very root of who God is as a being. Do you think about the characteristics of God? God is love, you may say. You may say God is peace. God is comfort. All these different attributes we may describe at the core of who God is. God is holy. It's at the heart of who he is from the beginning of Scripture. There is no God like Jehovah. There's no God like him. He is um, above all things, all gods, all things. Uh, another writer would say the idea of holiness is at the heart of God's self-revelation and his call to Israel. When you come to the imagery of God's holiness, I think it's important to understand this is his nature. This is part of the core of his being. It's not something that was given to him. It's something that he is. Right? I heard a story of Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton decided he was going to stare at the sun. So he decided he was going to stare at the sun by um, looking at its reflection in a mirror. He stared at it so long that he actually burned his retina and suffered temporary blindness. He actually had to hide for three days in a house with closed shutters, and still the bright spot in his eye would not 
fade. He said this, his words, I used all the means to divert my imagination from the sun, but I thought upon him as I presently saw his picture and I thought it was dark. They say that if Newton would have um, stared a few minutes longer, Newton might have been permanently, um, he might permanently lost all of his vision. See, the chemical receptors that govern the eyesight cannot withstand the full force of unfiltered sunlight. Now, if you think about that just for a minute, Isaac Newton saw something so glorious like the sun. He wanted to study it. He wanted to understand more about it. So he decided to gaze upon it, right? But by staring too long at the sun, what? His eyes could not take the magnificent nature of the sun. In this passage of scripture, Isaiah is seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And as this passage of scripture says, he gazes up and he looks at what? Not the sun, but he looks at the holiness of God. And I really believe taking the imagery that we see from Isaac Newton, it said the chemical receptor that governs the eyesight could not stand the full force of the sunlight. The spiritual receptors in Isaiah's sinful soul could not withstand the full, the full force of God's unfiltered holiness. And listen, neither could Isaiah withstand it, but neither could the seraphim. God's holiness, his unfiltered holiness, none can stand. Created beings as seraphim and sinful man could not stand in the unfiltered holiness of God. It is who God is. He is a holy God like no other. As a result, if you look at this passage of Scripture, verse 4 says the foundations, His holiness even shakes the foundations of the earth. It says the threshold shook at the voice of Him. We see this. Another parallel would be to see how His holiness shakes the foundation. Is God coming down at Mount Sinai. The whole earth shook at the presence of God that come at Mount Sinai. The foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And listen to Isaiah's response. So what you see in this passage, when he saw that God was on the throne, he saw God's holiness. And how did he, the next thing I want you to see that he saw, he saw his sin. Look at verse 5. And he said, woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's response is what? Woe of me. Woe is me. The imagery of woe is me is an expression of grief. It's a grief of sin. It's a grief of unholiness. I really think for Isaiah, you go back to this imagery. You see Leviticus and you see all these laws and all these things it must do. And it's just a constant reminder what man is sinful. 
Right? Man can't get to this holy God, and man must clean himself. He must um, get himself clean in order to approach a holy God. Here, Isaiah stands before the God, before God, and here Isaiah is a prophet. He's called by God, and of all the people of all of Israel, God called Isaiah to be his prophet. Right, and this man that he called out of all the people of Israel stands before God, stands before his holiness, and he says, God, I am what? Unclean. God, I'm not worthy to stand before you. God, I am a sinner. I'm undone. Look at scripture. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. Why is he desperate? Because he's desperate because of his sin. He looks upon a holy God he says, God, I am unholy. God, I'm sinful. And God, I can't stand in your presence because of your holiness. There's a desperation of sin and a fear of a holy God that encompasses Isaiah. In 1860, there was a Welch revival. It happened in Wales. It was in the Iron District of Wales. During that revival, people prayed for over a year. In North Wales, three men went to work, and they were working on a rock quarry. And um, they um, wept for um, three days. Um, I mean, they wept um, for days, all day, because of their sin. The next day, every workman gathered on top of the hill for a prayer meeting. Day after day, as the workers and families gathered on that hill, they gathered to pray over sin, to weep and sob until hours into the night, weeping and sobbing over sin. Through that revival, most of the population in Wales was converted to Christ. Revival began in Wales just like it happened in Isaiah's life, it started when people were broken over their sin. Recognizing who God is and recognizing their desperate nature of who they are and the sinfulness in their life. You know, we are hearing Asbury Revival, and many of you have probably heard about that. It's happening in Kentucky right now. And I don't know if you've read the stories, or I've not read but very little. But what is it starting? How is it starting? It's starting with students confessing sin. You, you didn't hear, if you go read the articles, and if you read the revival in Wales in 1860, as you read over another one, a story I'm going to tell you, all revivals, the revival that happened in South Korea, all revivals that ever happened throughout the history of time have all started when people began confessing their sin before a holy God and recognizing, God, you're holy and I'm not, and confessing that to the Lord. I just ask you today, I think we as church people, let's be honest, let's be real transparent for a moment. As we come together, we come in church, we want to act like we've got it all together. It's church, right? We want to look our best, and we want to act our best. 
And many times we want to put on facades that we've got it all together when in reality there are some deep issues of sin that's in our life. And we're okay, let's just be honest, we're okay with making sure that we've played, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we've given him our heart and we've put our faith in him for salvation and trust. But these little sins in my life, God, don't ask me about those things. I'll give you my heart and my life for salvation, but God, I, won't, I don't really want to give you the sin that's in my life that I know that's it's against your nature. And so therefore, we masquerade. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm a church member. I've put my faith in Jesus. Yes, I want to worship him. Yes, I want to sing the songs. But no, I really don't want to deal with the sin that's in my life. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he saw the holiness of God. And he says, God, I don't not only want you as Savior, but God, I want to be holy like you are holy. God, I want to be like you. But the problem is, God, I'm so sinful. I'm so sinful. Well, I ask you today, when's the last time you were broken over sin in your life? Tanner talked about as we start our service, a time of confession. When's the last time you've got alone in your home or maybe alone in the church service, wherever it may be, and just real honest to the Lord about some sin in your life? When's the last time you wept over sin in your life? When is the last time you were broken over sin in your life? You know, we're real good at times, let's just be honest, about being broken over sin that's in other people's lives and how they should fix up their life. But many times we're not really broken over the sin that's in us. I really believe as a church, if we're really going to worship God like we should, it starts when we're honest about who God really is as holy and really honest about how unholy we are and how much we really need him. What you see in this passage, how does Isaiah respond? He says, woe is me, I am lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the key king and the Lord of hosts. What was Isaiah's response? He saw how holy God was, how unholy he is, and he confessed it to the Lord. In 1901 to 1910, there was a worldwide awakening, and it started in a Presbyterian church. And that Sunday in that Presbyterian church, the pastor confessed his sin of adultery before the church. As a result of him confessing his sins to the church, there was another church member in there, and he was convicted and went home that night. And he was in such conviction over his sin. You see, he had taken um, money from the church as it was being built. And he said there's such conviction that night that he thought he was going to die. So the next day he got up and went to the church. 
and confessed his sin before the church. And that broke out a revival in that area that started for nine years and led to a worldwide awakening. And it started, listen, when one man confessed. What does the Lord say? Psalm 51, David declared, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Don't you see, lastly, as we conclude this morning's service, look at God's response to, to Isaiah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the thrones of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. away. Your sin is atoned for. Here's the imagery. Here's the beauty of who God is. God in his very being is holy. Man is not. We are unholy. The Old Testament screams, and Paul would say that, I didn't know what sin was until I knew the law. And then the law brought life to my sin. It made me aware of the sin, of how unholy I was. The Bible, as we read the Old Testament, reveals to us just how unholy we all are and how desperate we need for God. Holiness is who God is. And who are we? We're unholy. But here's the issue. You say, but pastor, from the very beginning, the very first passage you told me was that God commanded his people, all people, to be holy. Leviticus 19.2, right? Speak to all the congregation of people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So you say to me, pastor, the very being of who God is, that he's holy, and yet he commands us all to be holy holy but we you just told me all of us our scripture does nothing but to reveal to us how unholy we are and how great a distance there is between us and the lord because of his holiness and our unholy nature of sin so how god how are you saying to me pastor how can i expanse the gap how can i get to this holy god when i am so unholy holy the beauty of the gospel is listen god knows scripture teaches us this that god knows you cannot come to him so here's the beauty of it god comes to you and look at the beauty of this passage of scripture when he cries out and confesses then what god sends one of the seraphim to fly to him and he takes a burning coal and he touches what his lips and he says, what? Behold, this has touched your lip and your guilt has taken away your sin atoned for. The beauty of the gospel, listen, is this. If we confess our sins to the Lord, listen, God will, listen to this, he'll cleanse us of our sins, he'll forgive us of our sins, he'll cleanse of our sins, and listen, God can make us holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's next week's message, so you've got to come back. Is the work of the Holy Spirit in um, growing us into holiness. But listen, the beauty of this is today is that God is holy and we are not. The beauty is if we confess our sins before the Lord, He can forgive and He can impart 
his holiness to you and I today. Here's the, here's the key. We've got to go to him. We've got to confess. We've got to cry out to him. Isaiah confessed, and God flew to where Isaiah was. Listen to me today. Those of you are here, God wants to meet you right where you are. Will you today confess and say, God, I'm unholy. But God, I want to be holy like you are, God. Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And listen to this. And what? And cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Will you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Tanner and the band is going to make their way. I pray right now, just right where you are, you would consider the holiness of God. The very being of the very core of who he is, is that he is holy, he is pure. There is no God like him. There's no God holy like him. There's no angel that's holy like him, and there's no man that's holy like him. His very being is holy, pure. Would you recognize today how unholy you are? And the distance between you and him. He is holy and you are not. Would you today, just as Isaiah did, just as those men that day on that mountain and and wells, Say, God, I am a holy. And God, I need you. You say to me, a woe is me, Lord. I'm an unclean man. I'm an unclean woman. Lord, would you come forgive me today, Father? Cleanse me today, Lord. I pray there'd be some right today, right now, right where you are, you would confess your sins. You, you say, well, pastor, the Lord knows my sin. What do I got to tell him? You're right. He does know. There's something about saying, Lord, I have done this against your holy name. Just as scripture says, Joe's, um, the writers would confess, I have sinned against God. Would you maybe today say, God, I've sinned against you. Would you say today, would you, Lord, I can't come to you because I'm unclean. I'm holy. But God, would you meet me right where I am today? God, would you forgive me today, Father? Would you cleanse me today, Lord? Maybe you said today, Lord, I've tried everything. I've much like the Old Testament. I'm doing everything I can to clean up my life, but God, I cannot do it. I need you today, Father. Cleanse me.
I pray there'd be people that are in this congregation. I pray there'd be people watching online today that would be honest, Lord, today about who you are, God, and who they are. And the distance between them and you, God, because of sin. They may be today a child of you, God, but it doesn't mean that right that today that they're in a right relationship with you. Today, there's some sin, Lord, that you're asking them to confess to you, Father. So whether our pastor or deacon or growth group leader or church attender or whether they're unchurched today, I pray that people will fall on their face before you and confess, Lord, their need for you, holy God. And how, Lord, you are their only hope. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your word says if we're faithful to confess, you will forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, may the Holy Spirit work your cleansing power today. Lord, I pray there'd be those here today have have never put their faith in you for salvation. Today, there'd be some that say, Lord, today I want to put my faith in you today for salvation God I want you I want to give you my life I want to put uh, my trust in you Lord I believe that you came you lived and you died on the cross for my sins and Lord I confess today that I am a sinner that needs a savior God come into my life Lord I surrender my life to you today I pray there'd be those who would pray a prayer something like that that put their faith in you for salvation today Lord, however you lead us now in this time of invitation, God, I pray that, Lord, you respond. I pray that some need to come to this altar and just lay some things at this altar. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you'd lead them. Lord, may we give you this time in response. Lord, we would um, not be ashamed, Lord, of what you're doing. But, God, we would respond according to how you lead us now. In your name we pray. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.